Rubber boots? What does that mean? It's another reason to talk about the Hurricanes, and this time it's because of something that they did on the ice during the game, which is cool. Nobody in Russia is named Craig. What's up, Siren Sounder Podcast? Again, another post-playoff game edition episode coming to you here, putting out the content. And uh, it should have been out this morning, but the game didn't happen last night. And that's cool, and that's fine, because uh, I started watching that game, the Tampa-Columbus game, at like 3, when it started at my office. I pulled it up on my computer. And then I came home, and I was like listening to it on the way home. And I got home and I watched it for a little bit. My cable was fucking up. The only channel that didn't work was NBC Sports Network. Of course, makes sense. I was on the phone with the cable company for like two hours in which they didn't fix it at all. Uh, watching it the whole time. And then, you know, hanging out. Wife gets home from work, talking to her, still watching the game. Six fucking hours later, the game is still on. And they're like, yeah, no, we're not playing this other game tonight. And to be honest, I mean, it was the right decision. Um, it's just annoying, but to be honest, uh, I'm kind of glad they did that anyway, because, uh, I didn't want to be up till, you know, two 30. What is this? A West coast road trip? No, I don't want to play a game at 10 52 PM. That's dumb. We're on the East coast. Don't want to do that. But the NHL, Hey, space your, I mean, I get it. That was an anomaly. I'm not even arguing that. No one's, no one's arguing that, but like space your fucking times out better. You know, I mean, it happened today, this game, uh, the Hurricanes game went into double overtime, barely. Like it went into so basically a, a game that goes into overtime, far like far enough into the first overtime toward the end is pushing back the other game. Like, I mean, there's gonna be a lot of games that go into overtime, <laughs> you know. So I just space it out better. I'm sure they're gonna change a bunch of game times going forward and move some up and move some back. I mean, heck, I guess maybe make the game start at nine. I don't even know. I mean, eight. I feel like is the latest you'd want it. Um on a weekday, but I mean, I guess you got to do what you got to do in this situation. I guess maybe it makes more sense to move the games up, but I like three being the, I mean, I like the times they picked, but make it make sense. You know, I don't want every game getting postponed. Uh, but anyway, that's not what you're here for. You're here to, uh, hear about the Canes and the Bruins in game one of the real playoffs. Um, of which unfortunately the Hurricanes were four, three losers, um, in double overtime. And uh, a lot of things to take from this game, and it's kind of a lot to unpack, so let's go ahead and do it. Um, but before I get into it, let me tell you, go ahead and subscribe uh, to Siren Sounder Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all that sort of stuff. Um, that way, every time after every game, you'll just get the episodes. They'll come in. Um, rate and review. Definitely leave a review. Let me know how you like the uh, episodes after every game, in addition to the normal once-a-week Monday episodes, of course. Um, and follow at SS Canes Podcast on Twitter, uh, and follow at HockeyPodNet on Twitter. Check it out. Check out the Hockey Podcast Network. But anyway, let's get into the game now that we got the, I hate the term, but now that we got the business out of the way, let's get into the real game. Um, not the best game for the Hurricanes. I mean, I tweeted, I tweeted this. I tweeted this to my friends. No, I texted this to my friends. I'm really 
struggling already to start bad bad start out of the gate kind of like the hurricanes um but i texted this to my friends we have like a group chat um and i i told them that the hurricanes look like a team who had the most time off during the qualifiers and then prepared to play a game at 8 p.m and then played that game at 11 a.m the next morning like that's exactly how they played um and they just looked a little slow, you know, as expected. Um, neither team was fantastic, but Boston, I feel like, had the edge from the jump, and I feel like Boston never really lost the edge. There was times where the Hurricanes uh, kind of controlled the game, and it was it was good to see, um, and they got to their grinding game a little bit. But for the most part, um, I felt like Boston was the better team. Um, they just kind of were able to control the puck a little better. They looked a little quicker, um, and they just made better decisions with the puck, the Hurricanes looked a little uh, lost in their own end at times, um, and that just, of course, leads to trouble. But all in all, not a bad game for the Canes. Um, you know, obviously they they score three goals. They score a shorthanded goal. Um, you get contributions from your your defense, um, which I liked. If you listen to the last episode, you know that that's the defensive group that it, I said it should be. Um, well, other than um, Jay Gardner coming in for uh, Sammy Votnin who was deemed unfit to play, which we'll get to. Um, but I don't mind, of course, Gardner coming in. And, and you know, now having seen it, um, I'm sure they go back to Vatnin. And who comes out then? You know, I don't know. But uh, I like the group that they had in. I would be fine with Vatnin being in uh, instead of Gardner. Uh, but I would definitely leave Hayden Fleury, and I think he's proven that to everyone now. I mean, I know his goal was... Obviously, it's a big deal when you score. It wasn't like he lasered one past anybody. It was a good good idea to get the shot through. I thought he played a pretty good game, uh, and it was good to see from Hayden Flurry, kind of cementing himself more and more into the lineup every day. You just you you, you root for a guy like Hayden Flurry, and it's good to see him um, kind of secure his spot and hopefully secure his contract going into next year. But that's that's talk for the off season, and we're not to the off season yet because we're in this thing. Um, so let's let's break down this game. Um, you know, first period, the Hurricanes get on the board, which you like to see um, with a little bit of uh, great passing. First of all, the 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 pass from Warren Fogle, like when he gets into the zone and he pulls up, I'm like, what are you doing? It's one on four. Just get off the ice, get it deep. That's what I would have done. But Warren Fogle has the wherewithal to pull up, take a quick look, see that, you know, the top line's coming on the ice. And that maybe the Boston defense is a little puck focused on him, being that it's a one on four. They're not really paying attention as much to the guys coming off the bench. So he finds, I believe it was um, either Aho or Teravinen, um, who then again dishes it off to one or the other. I can't remember. I think it was Teravinen first, then Aho. No, no, no. I think it was Aho first, then Teravinen. And he found Joel Edmondson for the one timer. And Joel Edmondson, I thought, looked really good um, off the start of the game, had a great game, had a great series, really. Uh, against the Rangers, so I've liked his game and I like his uh, pairing with Brady Shea. Um, he didn't he didn't really carry that through the entire game. Had some some mess ups, but uh, a few of the defensemen did. So I think that you gotta you know kind of say it is what it is on that. Uh, but a great a great play and a great shot and just great vision by all involved. That was uh, exciting to see. And and from then it looked like the Hurricanes were gonna uh, you know pick up their game where they left off a little bit. They, they got a few chances, but eventually Boston kind of took back over. Um, they get the goal, the Pasternak goal on the pass from Marshawn. Great play, but Jacob Slavin's got to, you know, be in that lane and um, not get so puck-focused on that play. It's easy to do, of course, and 
you know, it wasn't but for a second, but that's all it takes to leave a guy open. I mean, you're in, you're in the lane, but um, look, you know, Marshand and, um, or is it Marshand, however the fuck he wants to say it now, um, he doesn't deserve us to say his name correctly. You know what, whatever it is, if he, th- if he says it's Marshand, then I'm calling him Marshawn for the rest of his fucking life. Um, I'll call him Mars. I don't even care. I'll change his name. I'll call him McWilliams. That's what your name is from now on. Brad McWilliams uh, passes it to uh, David Pasternak. And it's, I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, well, what you could do is get in the passing lane. But, um, you know, that's that's two elite players making a great play, set play. Um, you know, that's why faceoffs are so, so important. And unfortunately, Jordan Stahl lost the faceoff. Jacob Slavin gets a little, you know, watching the puck. For a, a, it, it makes sense on a faceoff, you know. It's what you're watching to see where it goes. But... Um, you got to always have your head on a swivel. It's something he's usually fantastic at, and I think that he would want that one back. Um, but, hey, elite play. Can't really blame him too, too much. It's just a, a tiny mistake, but good teams make you pay for tiny mistakes. So Boston gets it back, and then um, Boston takes the lead. And then it's really kind of... The game felt like, you know, Boston controlling play, Peter Morazic making some good saves, Hurricanes kind of surviving waves, um, and then get the puck out, and then chances here and there. But for the most part, I mean, they didn't really generate any shots. I think they had like 12 shots going into the third period or something, um, or even maybe halfway through the third period. Uh, Really not generating a ton of offensive chances um, of that second goal, of course, being a weirdo goal. And then Brock McGinn gets it right back with the shorthanded breakaway, which I'll talk about that call um, and how it made no sense. Uh, And then, you know, Boston capitalizes on, on... Really, that third goal for Boston was the epitome of what kind of plagued the Canes and, and what could have made this, you know, maybe a 5-3, 6-3 game if Peter Morozik's not on and if there aren't a few, you know, easy misses for Boston. I mean, you saw, um, oh, geez, can't remember who it was. DeBrusque, maybe? Uh, that just missed on the side of the net with like a wide open goal. Um, it, it probably wasn't Jake DeBrusque, but whatever. It was, it was one of those guys. <laughs> it was like someone in their top six. Um, and you don't see them miss that very often. So kind of a big deal. And then, um, it's really, but hang on, let me get back to my point. It was really the hurricanes kind of getting lost in their own end at times. And what that really gets down to is, I mean, if you saw, on that play I was just talking about, where who, whoever it was, I wish I remembered so it, I was being more concise in this statement, but um, whoever that was missed the net on the wide open net. I'm sure you know the play I'm talking about. I first noticed on that play that Aho came back in as the center. Uh, Joel Edmondson's on his man in front, and there's someone behind the net that no one is on. Aho gets to the front of the net as the center. He's just trying to get involved in the play, um, and then he kind of seems confused for a second as to whether or not he's going to go get the guy down low or if he's going to stay where he is in front of the net. Edmondson staying there. Aho finally kind of says, all right, I guess I'll go to this guy, right as Edmondson goes, chases it behind the net. So now there's a guy open in front, and that's what leads to a chance. Um, eventually the puck you know, bumps wide. But those are the kind of errors that uh, you can't have. You can't leave guys open anywhere around your net. you got to be really tough in front of your net, and it just requires communication. It requires um, you know, chemistry in that end and you know, call it the Hurricanes not playing for a few days and uh, not having a normal kind of practice before a game day with this game being so weird or call it the 11 a.m. star, whatever it was, even though this was like in the third period, I think. Um, 
can't make those mistakes. A few other mistakes they made, just failing to get pucks deep, um, icing the puck when it wasn't necessary always comes back to bite you. Um, and just too many errors along the boards. And I think that, I think about this a lot. I think that the Hurricanes struggle at times getting the puck out of their own end against good teams that are pressing them a lot because literally everyone's a lefty except for Vincent Tr- I mean especially without Justin Williams in the lineup and and maybe this is maybe this is a little thing that makes you know Justin Williams just that much more valuable is that he is a righty and balances out your lines a little more but when you're throwing lefties out every right winger is a left-handed shot um I mean it's We've had this discussion about playing your natural side and, and making it easier to get pucks out, and it is. Um, but good players and NHL level players can easily get pucks out and, and make plays on their offside. It's not that difficult to do. It's not like it's the end of the world. But to pretend like it's not easier to play, you know, as a righty on the right side along those half boards and get pucks out that way on your forehand, and a lefty on the left side, and, and just have more of the ice as an option, and and you know have your your forehand facing. The majority of the ice and, and instead of being on your backhand it's just tougher to get passes off that way so these guys can do it relatively easily but you have to remember that the guys on the other team are trying to you know do the same thing in reverse so when you're matching up against the left winger on his left side and you're a right winger as a lefty or sorry a, a left-handed left winger on offense facing you and you're a right hand or Jesus Christ and you're a left-handed right winger so you're opposite. You're on your backhand. He's on his forehand. He automatically has the advantage, and it makes it tough. So Boston won a lot of those battles, and you know maybe I'm putting too much stock into that, but I think it does have somewhat of an impact. Um, but the D just didn't quite look as sharp. I thought that honestly Brady Shea looked to be one of the sharper defensemen and getting pucks out. But you know as the game went on, he he had some turnovers as well. Everybody really did. I didn't think anybody did a fantastic job of getting pucks out. Um, I thought maybe Jake Gardner was one of the better ones making some poised plays and getting pucks out, um, which should make sense as a, as a good puck-moving defenseman playing on the third pair. Uh, your matchups are the easiest, and you know he has that talent of a top-four puck mover. Um, whether or not he's a top-four defenseman, we can talk about that you know, whenever. But um, I thought that that, that, was a, that was a problem that plagued the Hurricanes, and lucky for them, Peter Morazic played really well um, for almost, almost, almost all of this game. <laughs> And uh, it's really unfortunate to me the way it ended. But those mistakes just are going to cost the Hurricanes. Getting down to the way it did end, double overtime. I thought that, you know, the the overtime periods to me looked a lot like Tampa-Columbus um, with Boston being Tampa and Carolina being Columbus. It seemed like, you know, kind of a grind fest. One team's getting more chances than the other, but the other team seems to just be surviving uh, with good goaltending and not really generating a ton of chances, but, you know, not looking dead in the water either. That was what Carolina looked like in the overtime period to me. Um, and Boston finally just kind of wears it down and finishes it. Um, you know, the pass across to Bergeron where Edmondson, first of all, Slavin's public probably a little out of position, a little outside of where he would want to be. Um, but ultimately that's a two-on-one play where the defenseman's job is the puck, or the pass, sorry, and the goalie's job is the shot. And Joel Edmondson just gets kind of caught watching the puck. Like Jacob, <clears throat> excuse me, whoa, I'm crying. <laughs> like Jacob Slavin was, uh, what if I really did just break down into tears right there? And I was just like, Joel Edmondson just caught the puck and I just, they scored it. Yeah, what if I was that emotional about it? Um, but Jacob Slavin, a little outside, Joel Edmondson caught watching the puck and, and isn't 
in the lane well enough against, again, elite passers and elite, uh, you know, that first line that's so good for Boston. Bergeron gets it, and Peter Morazic, so three people make mistakes. Jacob Slavin's a little out of position. Joel Edmondson's watching the puck and not covering the passing lane well enough. Pass gets through, which means he failed his defensive assignment. And then Peter Morazic, who, you know, had had a really good game and, and thrives on, I know, those big adrenaline plays where he, you know, explodes out to the puck and makes a good save, but sometimes it, it hurts him, and this is one case where it hurt him, where he went out to make, a, you know, a huge save and tried to explode toward the shot, but the shot didn't come right away, and so he keeps sliding and, and doesn't control his slide as a calmer goalie might have, and he gets way out of position. If you if you look at angles of the shot from, you know, facing the net, Peter Morazic is just so far out of position. I mean, I could have scored that. All you got to do is put it in the left side of the net. There's no chance he has against the grain to reach out and make that save unless he's got like go-go gadget arms or something, or he's Mr. Fantastic, um, or another reference of someone who can stretch out their arms really far. Stretch Armstrong, stretch Morazic strong. Um, you know, it, it's just unfortunate that that's how it ended for Morazic because I thought that he was really good for the rest of that game. And honestly, that game probably ends, like I said, 6-2, 6-3, without uh, Peter Morozik and a couple of, you know, missed chances by the Bruins as well. But he was really good, and he made a lot of really good saves. Um, now, let's talk about two more things before I wrap this guy up. As you know, these are just kind of recaps, keeping it fresh. The overall point I want to make in this episode is that the Canes didn't look great. Uh, they didn't look terrible, but they're going to need more to get uh, past the Bruins. Uh, their problems were getting the puck out of their zone, turning it over a little too much in the neutral zone, and then just really no sustained offensive pressure for large portions of the game. And it just, that's how you wear down your opponent. You know, best defense is a good offense. And and I think honestly, that's what leads to the defensive mishaps. You see that a lot. You're like, oh, well, we played, we didn't, our offense really didn't do anything. and, And that was the game where, of course, our defense, well, it's not, they're not, they're mutually exclusive. Like, uh, when your offense isn't clicking and you're not spending enough time in your offensive zone, you're spending more time in your defensive zone and you're more likely you have more chances to make mistakes and you're more likely to make mistakes because you're probably tired because you're spending more time in the defensive zone, if that makes sense, uh, which it should because it's not that complicated of a concept. But anyway, those were the things I think the Hurricanes needed to fix. The first line has to be better. Uh, I thought that Ajo, if I'm grading everyone, I'd get Ajo like a C. C plus maybe, um, Tara Vinan probably about the same, maybe a little bit better. Thought that he was um, pretty solid. Uh, Svech, however, I would say had a bad game by Svech standards. Um, I don't mean, a, you know, he wasn't terrible. He wasn't the worst player on the ice or anything, but I think that if you talk to Andrei Svechnikov, the player that he is, he would say he needs to bring more, and that's why we like Andrei Svechnikov. That's why he's such a good player and going to be such a star in this league because, you know, he knows he needs to be better. And to me, when you've got two-thirds of a line going, uh, it really drags them down. And I wouldn't even say they were going. It wasn't like Ajo and Teravainen had it turned on and they were dominating or anything, but I thought that they played, they were the better two-thirds of that line. If Svechnikov, you know, brings it up to their level, that line gets more effective. Maybe we're talking a different story. Maybe they get more sustained chances. And they weren't terrible by any means. Um, but I just think that to beat a good Boston team, your first line has to outdo their first line, and that's a challenge for this team um, against such a talented opponent. So... Those are the points overall. Um, now getting into some specifics to wrap this guy up, let's talk about that that uh, challenge and the officiating overall. Um, look, you you already know what my point of view is. It's probably the same as everyone else who watched that game. The officiating was not great. Um, they missed a few calls and called a few questionable ones. And 
it is what it is to me. I'm never going to be someone who says, um, you know, the loss is on the refs because, like I said, I think Boston was the better team. I think that they could have won by way more than they did. Um, the Hurricanes were probably lucky to get that game to overtime, but, you know, still worked for it um, and still competed. So it's not like they just got blown out of the water. Like, they deserve to be around. But Boston probably had several opportunities that they missed from their mistakes um, that didn't capitalize to a bigger lead before the game even gets tied. But anyway, um, so for that reason, I don't think the refs lost in the game. Plus, the the uh, second goal that Boston sco- scored that got allowed when it probably should have been disallowed led to a penalty on the Hurricanes in which Brock McGinn said, give me that puck. I'm scoring with a filthy, you know, uh, it was like a forehand fake shot, leg kick, backhand, stutter step, roof it, beautiful. Um, you love to see it, Brock McGinn. But they don't get that goal if not for that. Like, they don't get the shorthanded chance if they don't get that penalty. So it's kind of like paradoxical. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think it's kind of a wash. But it is worth talking about because it, it didn't make any sense. What happens is the puck, you know, kind of creams off of the Boston player's glove, which is illegal. You can't you can't move the puck into an advantage, into an advent. You can't move the puck with your hand in the offensive zone or in front of your like your offensive side of center ice. You can do it in your defensive zone all day. Um, doesn't matter. It's legal unless it's in the crease. Uh, in the offensive zone. You cannot advance the puck with your hand to your team. Um, And technically the rule says you can't advance the puck into an advantageous position for your team with your, with your hand. Um, And so what happened is it goes off his hand there. He kind of bumps it with his fist, not intentionally, but it goes off his fist. So it's a hand pass. Um, The thing that would negate a hand pass is if the hurricanes essentially stole the puck and then if if they returned it over to Boston and Boston scores, then technically the hand pass didn't give them advantage because the Hurricanes had possession in between, if that makes sense. So when Rod challenges that, first of all, it was unclear what exactly he was challenging for. Um, I didn't know if he was challenging the hand pass or if he was challenging that Peter Morozik should have been allowed to cover that puck. Um, but really, at a certain point, common sense rules have to take over and the refs have to just look at it and say, like, something bad happened that we got wrong, and let's not take a technicality to get out of our mistake. Like, let's just fix the fucking mistake. That's what review is for. Otherwise, get review out of the fucking game, because who cares about it? You know, all it does is take time. Um, So if you're going to take time to make the wrong thing, then I don't want it. (laughs) But they review this play. It's very evident that the puck goes off his hand. So there's no question about that. I don't think anyone had a question about that. The next part that happens is that it, it hits the ice, and the next thing that happens is it goes under Peter Morozik's glove, okay? Now, we watched this so many times in slow motion, it was hard to gauge exactly how long it was under his glove, but it was, it was a, a moment, at least, um, that was, you know, noticeable in real time. And then the puck slips out of his glove as, you know, the Boston player is kind of jamming at his glove. And then it goes right to, I believe it was Charlie Coyle, into a wide open net. So he scores on that. So, if... You're judging that Peter Morozik gained possession of the puck. Then it kind of voids the hand pass because the Hurricanes have possession in between and therefore had a chance to, you know, do something with the puck. Like, it was their puck. So it's not an advantage to Boston anymore because the Hurricanes have it. It it breaks that. Um, But if you're deeming that he doesn't have possession, then the puck went technically right to another Boston player for a goal, and the advancement with the hand there is illegal. It's a hand pass. Now... 
what they deemed was that it was not a hand pass because Peter Morozik had possession of the puck under his glove before it was advanced to the Boston player, Charlie Coyle, for the goal. And therefore, no hand pass. Okay, that explanation makes sense in that there's no hand pass if that's what you're deeming. However, when a, the definition of a goalie having possession of the puck under his glove means you stop play. That's the, that's the rule. That's what it's there for. So it can't be both. Either you stop the play because the goalie has possession, or you deem that the goalie didn't have full possession, and it's a hand pass because the next step, the next possession from the hand pass to the next player was a Boston player touching it. So it would be a hand pass. So you can't, you can't say, oh, we're correcting one mistake with another mistake. We didn't blow the whistle. Or you could, or you could argue that it was goalie interference. That if you're saying he had possession of it under, under his glove, okay, well the only reason it came out of his glove is because a Boston player jabbed at his glove, which you can't push the puck out from under the goalie once he has quote unquote possession of it, which they said he did. So it doesn't make any sense. Um, it it breaks my brain thinking about it, um, and it's really upsetting. I'm going to talk on Monday's episode more about it in relation to Rod's comments, but those are my thoughts on that. Just so we're clear, dumb, but. Didn't really affect the game that that much. Now the other missed calls probably affect the game more, but I don't I don't play this. You know, oh well, we would have sc- our power play didn't look great, so it's not like getting another power play probably would have done a lot. But get you know being on a penalty kill, it just changes the game, changes the position of the game. But who knows what would happen? You can't say that the Hurricanes would have won with better officiating. Can't say that Boston won because of quote bad officiating on behalf of the Hurricanes. So. Uh, but it was bad. You you want to see a game. I don't tune into games to watch the officials affect it. I watch, I wanted the officials to enforce the rules and for it to be as neutral as possible. Okay? I get it that they're going to make mistakes. It's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that because sometimes the mistakes benefit my team. But when you watch a game where all the mistakes seem to benefit the other team and the mistakes are glaring in that they're like, how do you make that mistake? Come on now. We, we NHL step in and, and look at your officials that are refing playoff games that are supposed to be the representation of the best in your league and realize that what the fuck is this guy doing? We gotta we gotta fix that. Uh especially, you know, on national TV where everyone has every camera angle to see all those mistakes like in Technicolor. And also they reviewed a play so they had the same camera angles because there's only one camera. But anyway, uh you get a little mini rant of the week there. Um well, I guess that about does it for everything I can talk about about this game. Uh, you'll have a game tonight as this comes out. Uh, game two at 8 o'clock. I would expect, well, hopefully it's at fucking 8 o'clock. We'll see. Um, I would expect James Reimer in net. You're hearing me say that now. I actually am almost guaranteeing that James Reimer is going to be in net because I'm good about these things. Um, and I also expect uh, Justin Williams and or Sammy Vatnin back in the lineup. So you heard it here first. Not that I'm an insider by any means. Hard to be an insider when you don't live in the same state as the teams. Um, but I do have a hunch about the unfit to play with these players that seem like, had would they get injured or what? I My speculation, and this is very big disclaimer, just my speculation. I have no insight. I'm a fucking moron. So you shouldn't be listening to me. But you are, and now I have your attention. And what morons do when they have your attention is make dumb points. So here's my dumb point of the day. Before I and I'll leave you with this because I'm really done now. I'm tired. I'm ready to go to bed. Um, I think that some of these unfit to plays that kind of come out of nowhere and are for like a game come from the fact that these players have to get the COVID tests every day. Right? There's no way that every single test they do is coming back 100% conclusively negative, which is what they need to keep playing. 
I'm not saying that anybody has it. I'm just saying that sometimes tests come back and it's like, well, it's a little unclear. Like if, you, for example, if you were to go take a drug test, um, all the lines might not be perfectly straight. If anyone's ever taken a, like one of those drug tests, like an oral drug test, there's like lines that go across and it's, it's negative if there's a line and it's positive if there's no line. Sometimes it's kind of like hazy, but it doesn't mean you have that drug in your system. It just means sometimes the test doesn't pick it up all the way. So I could see that happening with these, with these tests. And to me, if it's kind of like an unclear, like, well, it looks like he's negative, but we can't be 100% about it, uh, then they make that player not fit to play until they can get tested again. And that takes time. So I think that's probably what happened. But that's just a guess. I have no fucking clue. Both of those guys could be injured. <laughs> so again, don't listen to me. But that's my dumb thought. Um, anyway, I'll be back uh, tomorrow after tomorrow's game. So tomorrow, what am I saying? I'll be back on fucking Thursday. Today is Wednesday. Not really. Today, as I'm recording this, is Tuesday. You're hearing it Wednesday. I'll be back Thursday because there's a game Wednesday. My brain's broken. Good night, everybody.